Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, December the 7th. Just before we talk about this week, to give you a heads up that next week there will be a triple issue of The Lancet, dated December the 15th, 22nd and 29th, covering the Christmas and New Year period. A deliberate attempt to give overworked Lancet editors some time off, but also to flag up that in that triple issue, there is an enormous project concerning the global burden of disease. This is new data from the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation, and you'll hear lots more about it from the end of next week onwards. There are going to be webcasts, podcasts, and a huge bumper triple issue to read online or in print. So that's next week. But returning to this week, the December the 8th to the 14th issue of The Lancet, and we're focusing on our annual Wackley Prize essay. Thanks to all of those who sent in nominations. But this week, we're delighted on the podcast to hear the winning author, James Nielsen from Australia, is going to read his winning essay. Thank you for seeing my beautiful daughter, Kate. Thank you for seeing my beautiful daughter, Kate. Dear Doctor, thank you for seeing my beautiful daughter, Kate now aged three years, who has cerebral palsy following her premature birth at 27 weeks. Medical training prepared me well for some things, poorly for many, and hardly at all for medical parenthood. Never before had I used the word beautiful in a referral letter. Now I cannot write a referral for Kate without it, far more important than details of her gestational age or medications. Kate was born by emergency caesarean section. The operation... Another commonplace miracle was uneventful, except for its outcome, a girl of 1,480 grams. She was intubated and whisked away. Neonatal intensive care was also uncomplicated at first. Apart from a lumbar puncture on day one, we were spared the traumas that struck neighbouring families. The medical errors that are rife in hospitals somehow skirted us. Kate was an excellent baby already irresistibly cute as tube feed hiccups shook her whole body like some nano-earthquake. We were lucky. Then came the head ultrasound. Widespread periventricular leukomalacia, perhaps affecting all four limbs. Cerebral palsy was almost certain and might be severe. No one could know its extent for months, at least. Would we like to see the pictures? No. After months of congratulations about the pregnancy... Our Hollywood happy ending had disappeared. Instead, we became medical parents, new conscripts into the ranks of families with cerebral palsy. Joining that community brought mixed feelings. Solace, certainly, from the company of other parents who understood. A sense of inclusion, jostling with a desire to be somewhere else. Guilty envy when meeting children less disabled than Kate, and its twin guilty relief when confronted with children more severely affected. What excellent walking, I said to another waiting room parent as I watched her younger girl stepping awkward but independent. I'd trade it for some of that lovely talking, she replied, hearing Katie's happy prattle. I went quiet. How to cope with all this as a parent? My wife chose to know more, to gaze into the chasm. I preferred denial, usually titrated, sometimes complete, deferring a problem for as long as possible. Both responses had merit, though the distance between them brought its own tension. My denial helped me function, but frequently I found it too short and thin a blanket. It certainly didn't protect me from 5am ruminations, will she be independent, will she be happy, what happens when we're gone, nor from the recurrent pangs of grief when I stumbled across another activity beyond Kate's physical limits. Equipment proliferated through our house. 
Ramps, rails, shower chairs, day and night leg splints, gymnastics balls, step stalls, and the most confronting, a walking frame and wheelchair. Kate's first frame at age two years was an ambivalent liberation. Before it, she was another toddler in a pram, if unobtrusively more confined inside it. With her frame, she became adventurous, even speedy by age three, how she said three, but also the poor disabled girl, an object of public curiosity, pity, and even polite avoidance. Other children were not a problem. Wheels were an object of desire for them. Often we needed to protect Kate from their frame joyriding in parks. Children's questions were also innocently direct. We gave simple, honest answers which were accepted as simply, although I did once overhear my older daughter, then aged six years, explaining authoritatively that it was for her sister's hysterical palsy. Hysterical indeed. My wife, an emergency physician, triaged her career into a waiting room when faced with the chronic emergency of Kate's therapy. I ran on a hamster wheel, forever rushing to and from appointments and the work necessary to pay for them. Public and private physiotherapists and occupational therapists, paediatricians, rehabilitation specialists, Botox clinics, hip x-rays, speech and developmental reviews, a therapy nanny, orthotics and orthopaedics, days of assessments and reams of applications. It was all normal for our therapy team, but all urgent and all-consuming for us. Once again, however, we were lucky. Geographical luck, because we lived in the city in an affluent country, close to services and the children's hospital where rationing was less stringent. Medical luck, because as doctors we knew the system and could ask for favours, that is, optimum care, for our own child. Last, and sadly no less important, financial luck, because we had the means to do all this. We shuddered at the plight of parents who were given their child's diagnosis and then forced into the limbo of treatment waiting lists. Our greatest fortune, however, was in Kate herself. Although physically dependent, she supported us emotionally. This began even in the neonatal intensive care unit at cuddle time, but blossomed with her smiles and language. I have a luminous memory of her in a high chair at 15 months, pointing urgently to a table strewn with toys and insisting, More! After several replies of more what, Katie, she learned rapidly and cut to the chase next time. More what? One anxiety, one of many, was that Kate might be over-medicalised and toddler playtime bumped aside in her therapy steeplechase. At age three years, Kate herself allayed this fear for me, paradoxically in a hospital foyer. We were waiting. I was quiet, dispirited after news that orthopaedic surgery was inevitable. Lie down, Daddy, she said briskly. I'm going to do an operation on you. I hesitated. Just a small brain operation, Daddy, she soothed. Still I hesitated. Lie down, she barked, abandoning niceties like consent and anaesthesia. Finally I did as I was told, and the small brain operation began at my knee. Now, in the blink of a sleep-deprived eye, Kate is four years old and school is approaching. Suddenly our lovely preschool with its sandy shoes, play-doh fingernails and forgiven accidents is close to its, its retirement. Like parents everywhere, we must find a place where our little girl can learn, be happy and reach her potential, a search that is at once commonplace and crucial. Although we live in an era of integration into mainstream schools, that goal is neither easy nor universal. Some do not accept children with special needs, a response which we can understand because we too are daunted by the challenge. Our choice, a haven for our first daughter, has been welcoming. Since Kate's birth, the school's attitude has been when she comes, not if. Last year they sent an appeal to raise money for a new library. 
Sensing an opportunity, I wrote to ask how accessible it would be. Within 24 hours, I received a two-page letter detailing how that was intrinsic to the design. People there have been inclusive in attitude, in planning and in practice. Kate's schooling will be challenging for them and us. Having her there will be enriching, however, for her and her classmates, just as her presence enriches our family. And instead of a fight for the chance to attend, or for facilities that actually facilitate, we will begin a 12-year relationship there with a welcome. Once again, we have been lucky. Many thanks again to James Nielsen and to you all for listening. See you next time.